electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Courtney Reagan in this evening for Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Nadine Turman. Tonight on Fast, the bulls are back in a big way. Markets soaring for a second straight day with the S&P posting its biggest gain since March. But should you take stock in this rally? We'll be joined by Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson for his thoughts on why you should be bracing for more volatility ahead. Plus, a semi-surge. Chip stocks soaring to record close today. Every single name in the SMH up more than 2%. But is it too late to get in on that trade? We're going to get you some answers to that question. And believe it or not, it wasn't all green arrows in the market. Big cap pharma stocks like Merck, AstraZeneca, and Lilly sitting on the sidelines during today's rally. What the traders are saying about the action in those names now. But we start with a massive rally on Wall Street. The NASDAQ ripping higher by 3%. No surprise, it was the biggest of the big tech stocks leading the way. Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, and the company formerly known as Facebook, adding a combined $280 billion in market cap just today. That's bigger than one whole sales force. But it wasn't just big tech. Every sector in the S&P was up today, and the small cap Russell 2000 rose more than 2% too. So after two days of big gains, can we believe that the worst is behind us? Guy, it wasn't that long ago that we had that very big fallout on Black Friday when we started hearing about Omicron, and we didn't know what that meant. Do we know what it means now? Are we really not worried anymore? Hey, Courtney, welcome. Uh, listen, sh- as human beings, should we be worried? I-, I think yes, absolutely. And we've talked about that a number of times. But what we're tasked to do here is to try to figure out how the markets are going to react. And I think across the board, uh, we were surprised by how violent that sell-off was on that Friday and the subsequent moves, theoretically, on the back of that variant or the variant that you're talking about now. You know, I thought uh, that the market would look past it. I thought the market would be able to digest it and that we've learned how to trade around the virus. I was much more concerned, maybe uh, inappropriately so, about what the Fed's done in their sort of 180 posture. So the 45.30 level in the S&P 500, which was the prior high we made back in September before we cratered in October, seemed to be a logical place for us to stop. And effectively, that's where we did. So to answer your original question, is the worst over? Well, given the seasonality, it looks like it might be. Nadine, what do you make of this? Do you think we can actually put stock in this rally that it may be continuing? Is this the Santa Claus rally that we've been waiting for? Courtney, you know, we were talking on Friday, the VIX was above 30. Now it's down in 22 and change, right? So I think Mike, our guest, is right that you have to expect volatility. And I think Guy's right. I mean, Powell and his words last week caused a lot of fear. We've got a big CPI print coming out this week. An FOMC meeting mid-month, another options expiration on the 17th. So there's a lot of wood to chop in addition to investors tax loss harvesting. 
So I don't think it's a smooth sailing, but you know, BK and I were talking on Friday, we bought tech, that was the day to buy tech, today's the day to trim it. So I think you just have to be a little bit tactical, even if you have a long-term thesis, if you're gonna make some quick money on some investments, prune it a little bit. Karen, what do you make of what the Fed had to say, what Jerome Powell had to say specifically, sort of taking some traders a little bit or investors a little bit by surprise? I, yeah, look, that I, was, I think the uh, Fed, you know, he if, was if anything, forceful. Oh, sorry. sorry, hang on just a second, Tim. Karen, jump ahead, in. Karen. <laughs> oh. I, I, I thought, he, you know, it uh, took people by surprise, but he said it the day before. He said it again. And then in a, what seemingly sort of, uh, you know, unified front, you had Mester on uh, doing an interview, talking pretty much the same line. We think it's, you know, tapering and increasing the pace of the taper seems worth uh, we're through. Then there was another, I don't know, it was Boston. I forget who else came out. Exact same message. They're telling us, telling us, we're going to increase the taper. Therefore, we're going to end the taper early. We'll be in a position to raise earlier. So I, I think that, you know, that scared the market a little, but it turns out that there was more Omicron there than, I, I don't even know exactly how to pronounce it after two weeks of it, but <laughs> there was more concern there than I thought, because if you saw, you know, the rally yesterday, on the news that maybe it was going to be less, um, you know, that it was a milder form. And then today that maybe there were some drugs that were very effective in dealing with the variants. Uh, although later in the day, I think there was a South African official who said some things that I think cooled the market off just a little bit about how effective some of those drugs were. So to me, it showed there was more fear about the virus than I had thought. So you had the reopen trade really, you know, doing very nicely, names like Ulta rallying a lot today. I sold a little bit of calls for um, against Ulta. And I, I had been buying back IGV, which I had been short. I didn't buy any back today. I did sell a little Matterport. So like Nadine, I'm trying to sort of fade what I think is a little bit of a, a bubblicious rally. I'm not quite sure. And then I'm just hanging on to, you know, my old staples, the you know, FedEx, United, rentals, banks, some retail. And then Facebook, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Apple. Hanging on to those regardless of whether it's a Christmas rally or not. Yeah, those turned out pretty well for you today. And I'm going with Omicron based on my deep sorority knowledge of how to say Greek words. That's what I'm going with. But, um, Tim, if I can turn back to you, you know, what do you make of, of the Fed's messaging? I mean, hey, at least they told us in very clear language, as Karen said, not once, not twice, but several times what they're going to do. So it's not a surprise. We should be prepared. I think that's right. It, it's proven to be a, a growth concern, not necessarily an interest rate concern. And think about today, also a, a day when the two-year note uh, yields moved higher. Um, and you continue to see at least some sense uh, the bond curve you know, flattens a little bit. This is a sense that the Fed is moving faster. And, and as we've all kind of highlighted, the, the Fed highlighting, first of all, be careful for what you wish for, but very clear. And if you look at kind of the intraday lows on Friday, in which we've, we've actually built from uh, all the way through to today's rally, it's, it's really been based upon growth. And it's been based upon um, some sense. And if you look at the, the dispersion within the market, as much as we've talked about mega cap tech, and I know we're going to spend a lot of time talking about semis, and I still think that they're the most important to follow. 
Um, I do think you have a case here where uh, the broader market rallied. I mean, the 15 percent move in oil off those Friday lows is is impressive. We had some trade data in China this morning that was very encouraging for commodities, iron ore, copper prices. Uh, and I think you saw a resources rally on top of a you know mega cap tech rally. You saw some retail. You saw some industrials. So um, it, it really, to me, is about a world that is concerned about growth. And remember, we got a very weak payroll number on Friday. I think that's going to be more of a head fake than anything. But um, that's really where the market has struggled. We're now 3% from all-time highs. And, and you wonder, you know, is, is the market's next move to react to the Fed finally? You know, Gaia, Tim, they're talking about growth and these big cap tech names that just continue to move higher. But the Russell also up nearly 3% today. So really broad-based. And some of those small caps are saying, hey, don't count us out yet. Is that a way to sort of play this market as we swing higher, if that's the way that we believe things are going towards the year end? Well, I think the Russell is struggling. I mean, clearly we had a false breakout a month or so ago. Carter Worth spoke to that. I mean, I thought we were off to the races. That proved to be incorrect. Um, but the, the Russell's back in that range that we've talked about effectively since February. I think you trade it between sort of this 215 and 230 level. And I think it's going to continue to vacillate between the two. I, I can't make heads or tails of it right now. I'm not really sure what the Russell wants in terms of higher yields or not. I will say to Tim's point, and I think Nadine probably agrees with me on this one, the swings we're seeing in 10-year yields are historic. I mean, we were at 167, I think, a week or so ago. By the way, great call by Nadine in terms of selling the TLT on the rally that we'd seen. Traded down to 133, and here we are at 145. Again, we're nowhere, if you look at it over the course of six months, but the swings in between have been something to watch. I think at a certain point that volatility will find its way into the equity market. Nadine, you are nodding your head. I want to give you a chance to jump in here. Well, well, Guy asked if I agreed with him. I do agree with him. So Friday was the day if you wanted to reshort that. <laughs> you could have reshorted it on Friday, but we're waiting to that 1.6 number. So that was my safety trade on Friday. So when can you buy back bonds if you're looking for that safety trade? So we think if the 10-year hits 1.6, which it might do again, as uh, Guy said, it's been pretty volatile in a wide range here, then you could go back and actually own bonds. And that might be a good bet if you're looking for a safer part of a portfolio to build if you haven't built that out. Fair enough. Well, despite the rally so far this week, our next guest says it's going to be a bumpy ride through year end. Let's bring in Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. equity strategist, Mike Wilson. Mike, I'm going to just give you sort of an, an open question to kick this off. How do you think we should read what's happened here the last couple of days? It feels like all systems go, but should we be worried that there's some bumpy road to go still? I think absolutely. I mean, I, I think that this month is going to be all about positioning, both on the upside and the downside. And one of the things we, we talked about this week is, you know, I think more than ever, you know, it's December. I think a lot of folks are really had a tough November, got whipped around. And, you know, you need to fade moves both up and down. So we just had two really good days. I'm fading it. You know, I think last week at the end of the week, we you know got clocked into Thursday and Friday. You wanted to kind of pick up some stuff. But these are trades. And, you know, I, I don't think we're out of the woods at all on some of the concerns that are out there. I would highlight three things that we're focused on the most. The number one thing is tapering, okay? We've been talking about this since September. Um, yes, the market is knows this is coming. The Fed has been very explicit about it. But when you're gonna take one and a half trillion dollars on an annual rate out of their purchases and take it to zero in four months, it's gonna leave a mark, okay? And that's valuations coming down. So um, we, we wanna be very, 
focused on valuation. Um, you cannot overpay for assets right now. Um, and the Russell, I know a guy was just talking about a minute ago, like I'm, I'm a fader of the Russell for sure, because the second concern we have is earning stability and the ability to operate in what is a very difficult environment. And, you know, this is a low quality index, right? It's, it's a bunch of companies that are probably struggling to operate in an environment that's quite difficult. So, you know, valuation, earning stability, those are the two key factors that we're really focused on right now. And then this volatility is definitely gonna be with us probably through the end because of positioning and, and just the need to perform both up and down. Mike, you've been pretty, I think, consistent and steadfast in your, in your caution here, and you have been for a couple months. And I, you know, largely it's right, especially as we set up for 22, and you're talking about higher rates, and you're talking about uh, EPS downward revisions. You, you like value, you like healthcare, you like uh, banks. One of the problems for, for value, quote unquote, has been that value has been uh, a major, major underperformer. Is is this the setup that finally sees it? Because again, look, banks have had a nice run. You you could also make an argument that that uh, they've been a beneficiary of being the best kind of value on the block, where deep value has been kind of a death trap. Yeah, no, you know, we don't like value per se, like the growth versus value continuum. I think people obsess over that too much. Uh, we have at times too, and I don't think that's really you know the call that we're making. We're making a call really on on valuation, and what that means is. Growth stocks can do just fine. You just can't pay egregious multiples. We've been very consistent about that really since April. That you know we like reasonably priced growth stocks, and then valuation matters in things like health, like healthcare. We like because it's probably the cheapest it's ever been relative to the market, and they actually have pretty good you know growth outlook. You know banks will be difficult if if the market decides you know rates are going to go back down that the, you know that's going to be a bond rally. Uh, but we think they're cheap enough that they can weather that storm, and, and the earnings power there looks pretty you know pretty attractive into next year. Hey, Mike, it's Karen. Thanks for being on. I just want to uh, go back to something you said about the Fed tapering. So we all agree that they have, you know, telegraphed to the market very, very clearly. But are you saying that you think the magnitude of the taper is such that even if everybody knows it, there's still going to be a negative reaction to it? I think so. I think definitely for certain assets, I mean, I think we all can agree that, you know, there's, there's, a little bit, there's been a little froth and speculation in, in these markets this year. And a big part of that has been the monetary accommodation, not just from the Fed, but from all central banks. And I think, you know, taking the air out of that balloon is going you know, and doing it quickly, I think, is going to have a negative impact on some of those parts of the market. And we saw that last couple of weeks. I think people were making the argument this week that that, that, that damage was done. And we would disagree with that. We still see <clears throat> pockets of excess that will be hurt from the air coming out faster than what people were thinking just a month or two ago. So, Mike, even if we're not exactly sure what's going to happen, I guess we never really are. And you see that there could be three possible outcomes. What's the best way as an investor to sell you, set yourself up for 2022? Well, look, I mean, there is a there is a bull story here that, you know, probably at some point next year, and we're, and we're on board with this, the global economy hasn't even really begun to recover yet, right? So so the U.S. has really pulled forward a lot of demand. You know, it's been the, it's been the place to be for sure. Uh, but the global economy, you know, is still kind of wobbling. And I, our expectation is that, you know, the virus will work its way through this next wave. We'll get vaccination programs up and running, uh, you know, further around the world. And we'll have a, a global synchronous recovery at some point in the second half of next year. I just don't think we're there yet. You know, I think we got to get through the, the initial stages of this tapering, which, by the way, the fact that the Fed is tapering faster is a good thing. It means that the recovery is progressing. Uh, we just priced a lot of that in the U.S. Outside the U.S., I think there's more to come. 
and that can benefit multinational companies. I just think right now you want to stay closer to home in terms of you know, making sure you, you know these companies are going to earn in any kind of an environment and you're not overpaying for it, which is, I think, the, the key variable for the next three or four months. Got it. Mike Wilson, thank you very much for joining us tonight, talking through it all. Tim, what's your take now that we've sort of fleshed out this conversation a little bit more with Mike? What do you think of his points? Well, Mike's, Mike's right to be cautious about uh, more Fed, and I, I, I believe we're certainly going to have to deal with more Fed. And therefore, I, I worry about an environment where central banks are all saying the right things. You're, it's interesting you're only seeing some of the uh, more emerging market banks continue to hike rates aggressively, and that tells you about people that are very fearful of inflation. Um, I think the Fed is moving faster on the taper, not necessarily because they're so excited about growth, but they, too, are worried about inflation. So, so I, I think that's the thing that we have to be careful of. I think the, the EPS revision dynamic may be the place I'm most worried, but I would just drill into the places where he is reasonably constructive on next year. And he's talking about uh, both multinationals. So uh, think of a Coca-Cola, um, think of uh, a Raytheon, think of, and he even has Walmart on there as you get into slightly more value-oriented companies that I think are less exposed to some of the cyclicality of interest rates. I think that is the call. And I think those are trades that actually will do well in 22. Karen, I know obviously you're in some retail names. Any of those seem to make sense to you, potentially add positioning if inflation takes off is even hotter than expected on Friday or beyond? Was that to me? I couldn't yeah, hear sorry, you. Yeah, sorry, Karen. Yes. Oh, okay. Anyway, so what, the retail just, names I, that I like, yeah, I just actually some of the, some, buy... Yeah, some of the retail questions. I mean, Tim brings up Walmart. That could be a good place to go if consumers tend to be more value-oriented mm -hmm. in the face of higher inflation. Well, Target is actually my biggest retail position, as well as Home Depot and Lowe's. That's a little bit more of a housing place. But Target's my biggest position. It hasn't been great in the last couple of weeks, although it has had a very, very good year. I actually bought a little Foot Locker today. I've traded around it a couple times. I cannot believe how cheap it is. Yes, I know that, right. you know, it's, 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 it's crazy cheap. But, you know, clearly there's some headwinds to the business. But still ridiculously cheap. And then I own Capri. I'd like to see. I mean, that, that had a nice run recently. Um, it's a Steve Grasso name as well. So that's sort of my retail exposure. And I think that they do have, some of them have good pricing power. Lulu, right. I'm out. They have excellent pricing power, but it's too expensive for me. Yes, absolutely. And I remember talking about Foot Locker after those earnings results and the name really taking a dive. You had mentioned you thought about nibbling, so sounds like you did go ahead and dive in. Well, you mentioned housing. We actually do have an earnings alert for you with shares of Toll Brothers. Volatile after its report. So let's get right to Diane Olick. She's got the details for us. Diane, what happened here? Well, Courtney, it was a strong beat for the luxury home builder on EPS and revenue, but supply chain issues are still weighing on deliveries. CEO Doug Yearly said they are extending delivery times for our homes. He did not, however, say that Toll is slowing home sales, which we heard from D.R. Horton in its last earnings release. And while supply costs have come down slightly, Yearly said based on the strong pricing embedded in our all-time record backlog of $9.5 billion, we project a 250 basis point improvement in full-year adjusted gross margin, which we expect to be second half weighted as peak lumber prices from the spring of 2020 flow through our first half delivery. So again, that big lumber sprite still weighing in there. Now, one big surprise in the release, prices. Obviously, toll is on the high end in the luxury sector, but estimates were for an average price of $840,000 per home, and price in backlog is now, wait for it, $922,000. And while signed contracts were actually down from a year ago, the value of those contracts was up 10%. So inflation, I can't say it enough, Courtney, inflation continues in the home builders.
Wow, $922,000, that price and backlog, much higher than estimates. Diana, thank you. Guy, what do you make here about Toll Brothers or the home builders in general? Obviously, we know supply is tight. Diana just talked about inflation. Is this a good way to play? Absolutely, and we I think we've been pretty, to Tim's word, steadfast in these for quite some time. Now, in terms of Toll Brothers, quickly, I mean, the average contract, contract price, by the way, was over a million dollars. I think that's the first time I've seen that. I mean, that speaks to a lot of different things. In terms of the stock, here we are at 71 and a half. I mean, this stock was in a pretty defined range from March, April until recently, 62 and a half to 66, finally broke out. I think what you're hoping for here, and you may get it, is a move back to 66, back and fill what we call in the industry and see. If it gets to 66, they could buy it with both hands. Nadine? My back up the truck is at 64, but similar view. You know, the stock ran into the print. It was a good print, um, obviously on pricing because inventory is tight. Pricing was firm on going into the spring 22 season. Um, but the thing we were really watching is gross margins. So consensus or expectations was for 200 basis points guide hider, and it was 250. That said, it's back end loaded, so it's about the lumber pricing. Um, but we're going to be watching those margins to make sure that those are coming through. Um, but as Guy said, we like it. You know, we have home building, ITB through an ETF. Um, but I would wait on Toll Brothers because it did run up into the print somewhere back into the 64 range is where we'd be, you know, backing up the truck. Got it. Well, coming up, we've got a trader triple play in the car space today. The headlines catching our attention and how to trade them. That's next. And speaking of cars, shares of Intel surging after the company announced it will take its self-driving car unit public. We will break down the details and the entire chip space in just a few. Stick with Fast. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a trader triple play in the auto space. First up, Stellantis revving up the, after the company said it plans to generate more than $22 billion in new software revenue by 2030. Ford also upping its game on the software front. That company partnering with Salesforce to launch a new subscription software business for its commercial fleet. Shares higher by 4%. Meanwhile, more drama for Elon Musk. Elon Musk slamming President Biden's plan to provide tax incentives for electric vehicles as part of his Build Back Better plan. The Tesla CEO saying, quote, honestly, I would just can this whole bill. Don't pass it. That's my recommendation. So lots of news in the auto space. Karen, Trader's Choice, any of those headlines stick out to you? Yeah, a, felt a few. They were similar. Stellantis, let's just go with that one. That, that talk of trying to get to $23 billion of, uh, of software, basically subscription as a service revenue by 2030. I mean, if there, there is really a land grab now. It's not just EV. It's a land grab to own the interface of the car, the intelligence of the car, the feedback of the car, and, and how the driver, or I don't even know if we'll have drivers then, but how the, the passengers will use the car. That kind of revenue, converting that into subscription as a service and getting that kind of multiple, that would be enormous. If you look at Ford or GM that trades at a high single digit multiple, to get some kind of SaaS multiple in the 20s or mid 20s, that would be tremendous. I mean, that's a gigantic leap from here. So, uh, you know, I, uh, GM is my auto bet, and it's you know, sort of near the highs, but still, that PE multiple is just, you know, ridiculously cheap. Anything to move it would be nice. Tim, what about you? Which of these headlines stick out to you? I'll jump with Ford just because I'll, I'll extend what Karen said. First of all, the, the F-150 has always been an office on wheels for, for a good portion of the small business community of this country. It's the most popular vehicle. Um, the software that will now allow them to do paperwork and digitize a lot of their uh, on-the-field work, but at a $39 a month price tag with some interactivity, is, is to me just the kind of thing that should re-rate the stock on top of EV ambition. But maybe more importantly, even if it didn't have any of this, this is a company that's largely as profitable as it's been in decades. In other words, they've eradicated bad businesses. They've streamlined a lot of processes. They've certainly dropped regions that, that were not making money. And Ford at you know, 9.2 times earnings is the story. But today's announcement is about a company that's trying to strive for being more involved in their consumer's life, and they're doing it. Nadine, does uh, Mr. Musk's headlines have any interest for you? I know, obviously, we pick up on almost every word he says. I don't know if it makes any difference uh, if you want to look at Tesla stock or not. But, hey, it's a fun talker. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a little surprise there. You know, we've been long VW and Porsche, so we're going more overseas in the auto area. But on days like today, I hate to sound like a broken record, Porsche's up over 8%. Those are the kind of days that you're given a gift, people are really excited about things, market bounce back, take a little off the table. That's what we did. So then you can wait for a better entry price. So I love, we've been long the structural theme. We think it has legs for the intermediate term, but it doesn't mean that you have to run in and buy on a day like today. So we would just caution for investors. You can go long the theme, just pick your entry price, get it at a better price. Well, we're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. We're dipping into the chips. Intel planning to take its self-driving car unit public. Buckle up, the traders are speeding into this trade next. Plus, pushing that trade up for you. Analysts sipping on Starbucks ahead of a big union vote. So how should you play the name? 
You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. It is a hot category, and we have the hottest asset hidden inside of Intel. So we wanted to give it more visibility. This is now where we're seeing that inflection point in the AV category. Mobileye pioneered ADAS, and now it's going to leap forward to be a leader in the entire AV technology sector. That was Intel CEO Pat Gelsinger on the reason behind spinning off the company's autonomous vehicle division, Mobileye. The IPO expected to come mid next year. The news sending Intel shares up nearly 5% today, but it wasn't the only chip name ripping higher. Check out the moves in Marvell, NVIDIA, AMAT, Corvo. Look at that Marvell up 7%, NVIDIA up 8%. For more on the action, let's turn to Jared Weisfeld. He's tech sector specialist at Jefferies. I mean, Jared, it seems like the market really liked this move. What do you make of it? Does it portend? Potential spinouts or acquisitions, mergers, other deals for any of the names in the space that's helping to prop this group up? Sure. So from an Intel standpoint, the move makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, I think if you're Pat Gelsinger, if you're Intel, this will help validate the valuation of Mobileye. They acquired the asset back in 2017 for, for about $15 billion, right? And now potentially achieving as much of a $50 billion valuation. That would be quite strong with respect to the multiple paid. Um, when you think about 2022, probably be about 25 times revenue. Um, so that's a strong valuation. So that'll help validate the valuation. Uh, number two, it helps bring in proceeds from Intel. So as you think about their diversification efforts and the ability to pursue their foundry efforts, getting those that capital on the door certainly helps. Um, but to your point, we saw a widespread rally across the entire chip sector today. Um, not only did Intel benefit on the news, uh, but you saw NVIDIA, AMD, Marvell also gain on, on, on the news. And I think, you know, what, what's interesting is that, you know, you sort of look at what this brings to Intel. Was this the right decision? 100%. It helps give you that valuation. It brings capital in the door. Does this change the long-term trajectory of Intel and the issues that investors are concerned about? Not as much, right? If you're concerned about PC market share loss, if you're concerned about AI and ML, artificial intelligence, machine learning share gains at NVIDIA and Marvell and AMD, which those shares continue to raise, um, rise appreciably, right? That doesn't that doesn't change the long-term trajectory at Intel. So um, it's, it's certainly a, a lot of moving parts here. Jared, this is Nadine. I have a question for you because I think you're alluding to this, which is, you know, they have aggressive capital spending plans, but that's just because they have been behind the curve versus peers. And so is this a sell the news event if you're an Intel owner or how should an investor in Intel play this from this point going forward? 
So if you're long Intel and you see this news, I think you have to be viewing this positively from the standpoint of the asset was acquired at $17 billion. It's now potentially going to achieve as much as a $50 billion valuation. That's a positive. You can still consolidate the financials if you're, uh, if you're Intel. They're going to retain majority ownership. It makes a lot of sense. They're getting proceeds in the door. The bigger fundamental question if you're an Intel bull is how do you think about the process technology roadmap? How do you think about their ability to execute and compete against AMD, compete against NVIDIA, compete against Marvell. Those are the long-term issues that still are unresolved. And that's why you actually saw shares of Intel underperform broader semis today. And UA obviously had a risk on day in the broader markets. Uh, the names that investors want to gravitate towards are certainly the, the structural share gainers like the AMDs, the Marvells, the NVIDIAs of the world. Jared, if we can turn you here, you, of course, are the tech specialist. And so we, we'd be remiss not to ask you about the AWS outage today. It seems like every other day there's another press release with another company that has now moved or migrated or started using AWS. This outage was pretty significant. What are the ripple effects going forward? Is this more than just a single event? For sure, it's uh, you know, and it's a good reminder how you know the world is so tethered to all of the cloud service providers, whether it's AWS, whether it's Microsoft, whether it's Google. Those three dominate uh, our lives, and this is only going to increase supply chain complexities that have only increased significantly because of COVID over the last 12 months. Um, what's amazing is you know not only are there external implications if you're if you're relying on AWS from a service provider perspective, that's obviously a problem with that out, but but Amazon itself is being impacted pretty significantly, right? If you look at the delivery network for Amazon, you look at all the Amazon partners that are trying to you know uh, make those deliveries and access the Amazon app via AWS. That's all down right now. So the ripple effect, not only with respect to if you're an AWS customer, but Amazon itself across the supply chain, especially in, you know, as we approach the holiday season, this is certainly not the, uh, not the appropriate time to have this outage for sure. Jared, thank you very much for being here with us today on a very big day for your sector in general and particularly those chips. Tim, I, I want to turn you. to you. Do you think it's too late to get in on some of these chips names after the rip that we saw? I mean, NVIDIA higher by what, seven plus percent here today? Yeah, and 15% off the low, intraday lows in two days. Like, I, the fact that semis are closer to their all-time high than any other part of the market, so not only just the S&P or the triple Qs, but I mean, within, within 2%, and I still think that semis are the chart to watch, and I still think that semis relative to the S&P, so if you wanted to do an SMH divided by the SPY graph, um, you can see that semis are, are arguably breaking out against the S&P through a top of a range that they've hit a couple times in the last year. So, yes, I, I think the answer is I think there's room. I, I think in a, in a world where we've seen this, one of the reasons why NVIDIA is up 15 percent in two days is because the high multiple concerned market where growth is in question is going to get whacked. Um, but I think if you stay the course here, this is still where you want to be buying growth. And in many cases, maybe not. Um, at NVIDIA, and I'm not going to lean on NVIDIA uh, at a reasonable price, but I, I think you are getting it at Qualcomm. And I do like this. I am an Intel shareholder. I do like this deal. I mean, that segment's 2% of revenues, uh, and this could be you know, 25% of market cap on the return on this investment. So um, I think it's a good day for Intel. And a good day for you if you're a holder of Intel and you're long there. We do have a market alert on U.S. Belarusian software company EPAM Solutions. Shares of the $36 billion company soaring as it's set to replace Kansas City Southern and the S&P 500. Guy, this is not a name we talk a lot about. Uh, uh, talk a lot about EPAM, $36 billion. What, what is this company? 
company grows by acquisition, software company. It's actually a very interesting company if you look. I mean, they've probably made 15 or 20 acquisitions over the last, I don't know, eight or 10 years. Stock traded up to 725 prior to earnings about, I don't know, I want to say a couple weeks or so ago. Sold off pretty aggressively. The level that it traded down to, I think the 575 level, was a previous low. I mean, 21% in basically, I think, five or six trading days. You look at it and say, this stock is expensive. Well, you have about 40% revenue growth. I want to say you have close to 35% EPS growth. So that might justify the close to 60 times it's trading against next year's numbers. So stock's probably trading, what, about 645 or so in the aftermarket on this news. It has real potential to take out that prior all-time high from just a few weeks ago. Thank you for giving us some homework on EPAM. Well, coming up, Starbucks percolating higher after an analyst upgrade. But could a union vote turn this coffee stock cold? More details on that next. Plus, we're diving into Big Pharma as a couple major players sit out of today's market rally. We'll break down what it means when Fast Money returns. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for CNBC's Financial Advisor Summit, the biggest names in the business, looking ahead to investment opportunities for 2022. For more information and to register, go to cnbcevents.com slash FA Summit. Well, Starbucks making headlines today as the company loses a bid to delay a union vote. Let's get to Kate Rogers. She's got the details for us. Hi, Kate. Hey, Court, the NLRB siding once again with workers who are looking to unionize at three Starbucks stores in Buffalo, New York, allowing a vote count of the 81 workers to move ahead on a Thursday being collected tomorrow. Starbucks had wanted this to go to one regional vote. That's a move that typically favors the employer, but that request was denied. In a letter to partners today ahead of this decision, CEO Kevin Johnson said, quote, we feel strongly that all partners in Buffalo should have a voice in the elections. While we recognize this creates some level of uncertainty. We respect the process that is underway and independent of any outcome in these elections. We will continue to stay true to our mission and values. Now, Starbucks Workers United accused Starbucks of straying from those core values and said in a statement, quote, once again, Starbucks tried to stop partners from voting and once again, they failed. Now, if successful, this would mark the first unionized Starbucks location in the U.S., but the street doesn't seem to mind. The stock closing up about two and a half percent higher today. Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson also will be on Mad Money tonight with Jim Cramer at 6 p.m. Eastern. So tune in for much more on that, and we'll see what happens with this vote later in the week. Court, back over to you. Thank you, Kate. Thank you for following this one for us. Well, shares of Starbucks were up today, as Kate just pointed out, along with the rest of the market, though, to be fair. But it was also upgraded to buy at MKM. Let's trade this one. Karen, if this vote is successful and if this one store does end up forming a union, Does this play into any investment thesis if you're an investor currently in Starbucks or considering buying into Starbucks? How do you need to weigh this? Well, I actually was an investor in Starbucks until about, I think it was maybe yesterday, uh, (laughs) sold some just because I thought there's other things to to own. All the days are blending together. But really, this isn't part of what I think about. To me, it's more some of the macro issues. You know, China is a significant part of their business, right? And I think we're seeing the slowdown there. I had thought we would see better results there this year than we have, but that, you know, that's okay. Um, and then I just sort of feel like the multiple at 30 plus times, it deserves a premium multiple for sure, right? It's a premium company, but that just seemed high to me in a world where I think multiples will come down as the Fed tightens. So for that reason, I sold it, not for this labor reason, which is a headline, but doesn't, doesn't, I don't know. The the input into the model for me isn't as important as some other things. 
Nadine, you're nodding here. I agree with Karen. Uh, higher labor costs are happening anyway. So this is, I think, a bit of a sideshow. Uh, but you have to look at other input costs. Coffee's at our all-time high. That's another input cost. Um, and even though they got a bump today, obviously the market was up. But people are thinking maybe there's going to be more foot tra traffic if Omicron's not as bad. But the one problem, though, is that people always think that they're going to be able to pass through price, and they have historically, but consumers are getting hit on all areas. There's a point at which, maybe not for my family, the way my kids like to go to Starbucks, but there's a point at which you draw the line, and then consumers actually end up downsizing orders. So I would be a little bit cautious. And our valuation here, if we're looking at a price of 116 50 and then our range is 107 to 117 so it's a high end of the range implying eight percent downside to only 50 basis percent upside for a trading range and it's at an implied volatility discount and so before it was at a premium so people were paying for protection people were concerned now people have wiped off that protection so i think as karen said there's probably better opportunities elsewhere I try to draw the line myself, but I cannot make a pumpkin spice latte as good as Starbucks can. <laughs> Anyways, well, coming up, buzzkill in Big Pharma. Do our traders see this pullback as a healthy entry point? Find out if they're adding a dose of these stocks to their portfolios. And later, when options trader sees new all-time highs ahead for this name, what is it? We'll dig into that trade. Whoops, that was a clue. Much more Fast Money after this break. Welcome back to Vast Money. One sad spot in today's market, big cap pharma stocks. Merck, AstraZeneca, and Eli Lilly sitting out the rally. Got Merck down the most, 1.6%. So what gives? Guy, you flagged this one, this underperformance today. What's going on here? Why are these names in particular not participating? Each has its own story. I mean, Merck, full disclosure, my wife works at Merck, but Merck was a $72 stock on September 21st, proceeded to trade north of $91 in a few weeks on the back of some of the COVID news. And then obviously we've round tripped it. HIV pipeline concerns, I think downgraded at Guggenheim. I think City had a negative note, but on valuation alone, market $72 is just too cheap with close to 24% EPS growth. Eli Lilly, I think is a more of a technical thing. Uh, Carter Worth and the technicians out there will look and see the potential for a pretty major double top, but Eli Lilly is cheap as well. So again, I think each one of these names has their own story. I think in the terms of those two, both are very attractive. Tim, you're nodding here. Do you see an attractive entry point for any of these names taking advantage of the move today? Well, I, I love the call on Merck. And, and I think look, Big Pharma has been somewhat pulled and pushed in the direction around COVID when, in fact, you know, arguably at one point we were saying that, that uh, you know, even Pfizer, who's had probably the most to gain net-net, uh, was not going to be a, man, a major beneficiary. I think the, the more interesting move today was actually for me in the IBB. Um, and, and again, an IBB that for uh, four and a half years, I think you could draw, you know, outside of some volatility around COVID, one of the best charts out there, ran out of gas in August. And a lot of that was with Moderna. Um, and if you look at the IBB, speaking of technicals, and you, you kind of draw a horizontal line from July of 2020 all the way through, this is, you know, that was resistance then. Uh, it's major, major two-year support um, since then, or one-and-a-half-year support since then. And I think it's something that investors should look at as an opportunity. Again, a lot of the names in there, Amgen's been uh, a big disappointment in some of kind of the head fake there and, and, and Alzheimer's and whatnot. But Gilead is a company with some cash in the balance sheet, also a problem uh, with falling revenues from HCV, HIV. But 
Uh, again, very interesting place in the chart, really outperformed today, and I think Moderna as well. Hmm. Well, coming up, options traders are piling into this one name, making a bet shares could really get energized. Will this name heat up your portfolio or Mike Coe will break down the move? That's coming up next. You're watching Vast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site and New York City's Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Check out CNBC's new Next Generation Index, outperforming the broader market today. It's our exclusive list of the 50 stocks most used, most visited, and most admired by millennial and Gen Z investors. Our own Jim Cramer digs into the names during a special event for CNBC Investing Club this Thursday, December 9th. Sign up now with all of the info right there on your screen. Meanwhile, check out Chenier Energy, closing off its highs of the day, but still pulling out gains. That stock up nearly 80% this year. And options traders are betting that new all-time highs are in store in 2022. Mike Coe joins us now with the action. Hi, Mike. Hi, Courtney. Yeah, so we saw calls outpacing puts by about 9 to 1 today on above-average call volume. The most active options were the January 125 strike calls. Those were trading for just under a dollar. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock could rise to or through that 125 strike price by January expiration, which is a little over six and a half weeks away. That would put the stock at new all-time highs. That would represent an increase of well over 15% from when those were put on, when the stock was actually a little bit higher than it closed today, but seeing some bullish activity here. Thank you very much, Mike, on Chenier Energy. Nadine, what are your thoughts on this name? 80% is an awful big way to run for the year. I would have sold those calls to those people. <laughs> I think, you know, we've been big energy investors all year round. We've told you about BP, Shell, Total. You got, you know, Equinor, so many different positions that we've had. But I've been trimming the last few days. So that's what I do. When people ask my husband, what do I do for a living? He says, my wife buys low and sells high. So that's what she tries to do. And that's what you got to do on energy here. So yeah, I would take the opposite side of this one. Um, that seems a little bit rich for me. You know, I'm looking at 4% downside, about 80 bips upside on a trading range that we have internally. Um, so yeah, I'd probably fade that. Karen, what do you make about this trade or maybe energy in general here as it just keeps going up here? Uh, well, so for me, I don't have a giant energy exposure. I do have the OIH, which has underperformed the commodity re lately. So I hope that they converge. And if energy is flat or higher, I think that OIH trade will do fine. All right. Well, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. It's Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, it's already time for your final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at shares of Stitch Fix dropping after its earnings report down 18 percent off the lows of the after hours, but still down significantly after issuing some weak sales guidance. Well, it's time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim, you get to go first today. Courtney, great having you. I'm going to disagree with the girls on Starbucks. One of the hardest things to do is letting your winners run. I think Starbucks has major, major brand power and pricing power, and I stay long. Mm, Nadine. I'd go with ICE at the 130 level, so be patient with that entry. It's got data, it's an exchange, and they make money when there's energy and rate volatility, which we think is going to continue. At the 130 level, it's at 134 right now. Karen, what's your final trade? 
Yeah, well, we talked about Big Cap Pharma, and I really like the whole space of a number of names, but Pfizer, I think, didn't participate in the rally. But I love these low multiple, nice dividend payer stocks, especially if the Fed's going to raise, and I think that will happen. Guy, wrap it up for us. What's your final trade? How do, how, Courtney, how do you feel about Michigan being in the final four there? You had to do it, didn't you? God, oh. throwing salt in the wounds, man. Oh. <laughs> Uh, I know it's a tough one. I apologize. Listen, it's been a while. AMAT, we talked about a back and fill in Toll Brothers. AMAT already did that. AMAT. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. Mad Money now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.